Welcome to The Dive Table. I'm Jay Gardner, and with me again, coming live all the way from San Diego, California, my new hometown. Well, not really. It's my old hometown that I left and then I came back to, so I don't know how you qualify that. It's my hometown. It's home. Is Mr. Jack Durr. And Jack, I've been having a great time co-hosting with you. In fact, we just spent like an hour talking when we should have just recorded it because we're telling stories <laughs> back and forth. <laughs> um, and I'm so glad you're back for this third episode. How are how are you doing today? I'm doing good. It's uh, you know, it's been a long work day. Um, it's now time to talk about diving in a fun way, right? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> not that's right. dealing with it in work, right? Yeah, so. I had an interesting day today too. I um, I went to my my kids' school. Um, the teachers in both of my kids' class. Well, I have three kids, but only you know two are are in a normal kind of elementary school. The third one goes to a nature school because she's three years old, so she has a blast there. But uh, they asked me to come in and do a presentation on scuba to the classes. So I did a, did one for uh, three, four, and five year olds, which was super fun and interesting. And I did one for six, seven, and eight year olds in different classrooms and back to back. So I had a very interesting day. I had um, kids spit all over my regulators, even though I said, <laughs> "Hey, don't put it in your mouth," because like, you know you don't want to share regulators. And all good. I'm like, "Oh, that's going in the uh, the old." Uh, you know, desanitizer. <laughs> <get home>. yep. <laughs> but, uh, but it was a fun day. It was, it was an interesting one. And it's so cool to see kids like, you know, take on that view of wonder at the yeah. underwater world, you know? So it was an interesting day, but I'm beat. Yeah. They treat, they treat you like an astronaut, right? It's like, wow. And then of course the question is always, do you see sharks? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I brought my shark videos where the shark literally have a video where a shark swims right over my head. And, um, and they're just like, and you, you one of the the funniest question I got today though was, (laughs) was, (laughs) I can't even say it with a straight face. (laughs) She she literally looked at my eyes and looked at a very serious question. Like, have you ever been eaten by a shark? (laughs) I was like, I should have just said yes. Like, yes, I have. Like, I'm a ghost. I don't actually exist. I'm a figment of your imagination. But she was so serious. Have you ever been eaten by a shark? And I was just like, well, the logic here is not making sense. If I had been eaten by a shark, I wouldn't be standing in front of you. But but I said no. You know, kids are very, very uh, worried about the sharks. Yeah. And I guess that's, I mean, in general with scuba for, for a lot of people is that fear of the unknown. Um, and then – once you get past that fear and go underwater, you go, wait, this isn't so scary because now you are under the water and you can see things. Well, supposedly, if the visibility is good enough, but you can see what's underwater. And you just go, wow, there's just a lot of water around here. And yes, there's some fish over there. There's, you know, it's it's not like some everything's down there to to eat you <laughs> type of thing, right? <laughs> true, it's true. Well, well, I don't know. Um, uh, you know, I guess if in this little girl's mind, if you had been eaten by a shark, um, they're kind enough to return you back when they're done with you. So uh, <laughs> I was, I was happy about that. But it was funny because I brought a bunch of gear. I read, I read uh, Manfish. It's a great children's book about Jacques Cousteau to them, and um, and I brought a bunch of gear and you know, went through the whole, Oh, what do I need to go diving? I need, you know, to swim. So I need fins and I need to be able to see. So I need a mask and so on and so forth. But the biggest question, which is our topic today, um, that I didn't bring and I should have, I'm regretting it now 
was thermal protection. They said, what do you wear? What do you wear to go underneath there? And I said, well, you wear a wetsuit or a dry suit. And they said, well, where's that? I'm like, oh, I didn't bring it because I didn't want to walk into a classroom in a dry suit. <laughs> like, you know, that, that could be either cool or they'd be like, this is too much, you know, too much. So, um, but yeah, that's kind of leading to our topic today, which is uh, really you came up with was how do you choose thermal protection? And I'm so looking forward to this topic, not only because I think it's a, it's a great thing to talk about, but this is going to be a treat for you if you're listening to this because you get Jack's mind here on this, which is which <laughs> oh, is super cr- amazing. Crazy talk. <laughs> crazy talk, right? <laughs> no, it's good talk. I mean, uh, Jack has a ton of knowledge, obviously. This is what he – this is his wheelhouse. Um, but it's not just about him and, and DUI. It's actually about thermal protection in general. So I was super excited when you sent me this – um, you know, topic said, Hey, what do you think of this? I said, absolutely. Because there's going to be a wealth of knowledge, I think shared from you. And, and hopefully I can add little tidbits as we go. So you ready to, uh, to jump into this one? I am mostly ready. Yes. Mostly ready. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Mostly is it, is that 90%, 80%, 75? Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. All right. So if I, if I if all of a sudden I just start talking for an hour, we'll know Jack Jack powered off. <laughs> I had to wake up today and go to work by nine, right? By nine ish, yeah, nine. Jack's nine-ish. nine. Jack's nine. That's right. A podcast for scuba divers everywhere. Take your seat at the dive table with your hosts, Jay Gardner and Jack Durr. All right. Well, let's set this one up with first. uh, The the primary question here is why in the world do we need thermal protection? I mean, why can't I just dive naked? And uh, (laughs) well, there, there are some reasons for that, but why do we need thermal protection? What's the purpose of it? What are the options that I have out there? And what should I really look for, you know, in choosing my thermal protection? So I'm going to tee that up for you and, and let you go to town and, and I'll add tidbits as we go. Yeah. Well, well, first off, we know that our body temperatures are that 98.6 or somewhere around there, right? So as we're walking around in air, air is not very conductive as conductive for thermal properties. Um, but when you get in the water, your, your body starts losing that heat right away. And yes, people will go into a pool that's heated pool. It's like 80 degrees. They jump in, they go, wow, this is nice. Or a jacuzzi, right? That water is going to be pretty hot. But as you go and dive around the world, even if you dive in warmer locations, like you're going to, let's say, Bonaire, Bahamas, the water is maybe 80 degrees, 82 degrees. It's still pretty warm. Right. But if you are diving longer or you do multiple dives throughout the day, your body core temperature is cooling off. Um, so the idea is that everyone wears wetsuits when they start off. Right. Because they want um, that thermal protection. And it's also kind of like protection. <laughs> yeah. Protection, um, protection, yeah. protection, protection. Um, obviously, we don't want to bounce off from the corals and all that stuff. But if you do there's some protection, but at the same time that thermal protection is what's keeping you. So you're not getting hypothermia, right? Which is bad. Um, we all learned that hopefully in our open water class, that's bad. 
Um, so the, so the idea is to stay warm, right? But the same time, everybody has different tolerances to cold. Um, so this is the odd part. I grew up in Minnesota. So my jacket that I used to use in the winter in Minnesota is kind of like the same thickness of my jacket that I'm using for San Diego. So see, I'm wearing my, <laughs> my yeah. winter type jacket. Um, <laughs> so I've kind of gotten soft in the years. Um, so I do get colder than I used to, but so I, I see all the time, you know, people will go, you know, I, okay. Just so you know, I dive my dry suit almost everywhere I've gone diving. And then if I don't dive a dry suit, I'm like wishing I did. But you see people all the time, they go, oh, the water's 80 degrees. I don't need a wetsuit. I don't even, you know, I'll just dive in my shorts. That's great. I mean, that means they can tolerate the cold. Um, but let's say you turn around and you get someone that's thinner um, or, you know, just they have no, as I call it, bioprene. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like natural that. Natural insulation. Bioprene. <laughs> bioprene. Um, they might get more cold, right? So they're wearing wetsuits, right? So that's the first thing. Now, not everybody dies in warm locations like San Diego. You think it's warm. I mean, it's sunny. I mean, today was awesome walking around in shorts, t-shirt, and now I'm back into a, a, a shirt because it's cooled off. The water's not warm. So what happens is you start going, hmm, do I want to dive today? Right? Because you're you go out and do one dive, you're fine. Allison, the next day you go, mm, the water was fifty degrees. I was really cold. I don't want to go. Right. So people will they get their wetsuit. They start wearing thicker and thicker wetsuits. You know, and they're they're ramping their way up. And eventually, it gets to a point where um, even like on a boat dive, let's say you're doing a four four tank boat dive, like two in the morning, two in the afternoon, and maybe there's a fifth option of a night dive, and when I started diving, I started obviously in a wetsuit, like probably like everybody else. No one, it's rare that people start in dry suits. Um, I would see the dry suit divers diving all five dives throughout the day. Being a new diver, I was like, yeah, wetsuit, five dives in the day. And then the dry suit divers go, I don't know how you do that. How can you dive that many dives in a day in a wetsuit? You know, as I was younger um, and my dives were short. So it, it wasn't like a, I wasn't like freezing because it's like, I can do that for 30, 40 minutes <laughs> on my big steel 130. You know, <laughs> like I said, I'm, I'm the gift of diving. Um, I just had a big tank. Anyways, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so, and then you flip that years down the road and I would be on the boat wearing the dry suit, doing the fifth dive. And then you always go back into the galley and see people sitting there, not taking these, going on these dives in the afternoon or in the evening. And majority of those people were all wetsuit divers. So when the main question I ask people when they're, when is it time to switch from a wetsuit to a dry suit? Right. Cause we've, we've gone through the cycle. Your dives are getting longer. Um, you're diving more frequently. And then all of a sudden there's a switch for people. They stop diving on days when it's going to be too cold. Mm. So when that question is answered of, would you dive today if you weren't cold? That's when you got to start thinking, hmm, 
what am I going to do? Am I going to get a thicker wetsuit, go semi-dry, or make that step to a dry suit? Because um, that's the thought process. If it's stopping you from diving, being cold, do something about it to make it so you're warm and dry. Um, right. So, I mean, that's I mean, that's the basic thought process of getting to the dry suit and why we're we're trying to stay warm. Yeah, and I think you make a, a really good point there that is something that I think you learn over time unless you're already kind of understanding the the physics of the body is is that cold is cumulative, right? So you can you can suffer through a dive and be cold and be just fine, but um the next dive, right? Or on the surface, right? All of that. I, I often see divers who are cold who are on the surface with a wetsuit draped, you know, halfway off and mm-hmm. no jacket on, no hat, nothing like that. And you're going, well, your body's still adjusting temperatures here. Like put a hat on, you know, that's going to help you. It's going to keep some, some temperature there. So the cold becomes cumulative over time, whether it be multiple dives in a day or multiple dives day over day. Um, and that's, that's a, a really good thing that I wasn't aware of on dive one, right? By whatever dive, I was aware of it, that cold can be cumulative. And it's really important. I think, I think it's uh, not only when you're talking about hypothermia, but you're also talking about, you know, the studies, there's been a lot of studies and I won't jump into all of them. I don't have them all prepped in front of me, so I don't want to go too far <laughs> about being cold and your decompression. And so your body in general decompresses better when we're not cold. We have a harder time decompressing when we are cold. And so, again, from a safety perspective, but I'd even say beyond that, I know I've been cold on a dive. I know you've been cold on a dive and it sucks. So you're not really enjoying yourself on those dives. You're kind of thinking, at least I was, like, all right, are we ready to get out now? Like, I'm cold. I'm shivering. I'm ready to come out of the water. Like, I stopped thinking about the enjoyment of the dive and I start thinking about getting warm and getting out of the water. Uh, right. And so those, the, I like that tipping point of when, when your thermal, you know, protection is preventing you from diving. In other words, you, you are second guessing whether you're going to get in the water today or on that dive. That's when you start to go, what should I do? And I think what you said about wetsuit versus dry suit and those sorts of things, um, we'll get into the benefits of, of the dry suit versus wetsuit. But it's also important to a lot of people don't realize that a, what a wetsuit actually is. And a wetsuit is a, a piece of rubber with air trapped in it, essentially small air bubbles trapped in it. And when you get a thicker wetsuit, it's a little bit, can be a little bit thicker rubber, but really what's changing is there's bigger air bubbles in between those pieces of rubber in there as well. And that's important to point out because uh, if you think logically about a wetsuit and the same principles that apply to your gas that's in your tank and that's in your lungs as you descend apply to any gas that is on your body or with you when you're diving, which would include the bubbles that are trapped in the neoprene. So in, in, uh, in wetsuit diving, um, you also have the thicker you go the more compression you're going to get, which is the equivalency of adding weight as you go down into, into mm-hmm. the, you know, deeper and the more decompression, right. That you're going to get of that or expansion of those gases in your wetsuit 
as you come back up. And I, I'll just speak from from personal observation here. You know, we had a, a an incident that um, you know I came up from a dive, and you know a guy was was kind of hunched over on the table that we had we had been kind of prepping from before we went on dive. He wasn't someone that we we dove with. I didn't know him, but he was hunched over at our table. And me and my teammate saw this, kind of knew something wasn't right. And our training kind of kicked in. Hey, man, are you okay? And the answer was kind of a no and a slump over onto the ground. We're like, oh, man, what's going wow. on? <laughs> and so long story short, because I won't go into all the details here, but but we started, you know, O2 and we were ready for CPR. And we thought at any moment, I mean, there were hand tremors, the whole deal clearly a case of decompression illness, right? Um, clearly something going on. And the ambulance came and they ended up airlifting him out of there. And he took uh, three chamber rides to come back to, hmm. to normal. What ended up happening when we got the story later was he had switched to a, a much thicker wetsuit than he had normally used, had trouble getting down in the water, got down finally when he hit that level that it started to compress enough mm-hmm. to make him, you know, negatively buoyant enough to stay under the water. And then he came back up and basically skyrocketed back up without expansion. Right. And yeah. so for me, like, again, when you're thinking about options here, you also need to understand that there are safety considerations when you're talking about wetsuits versus dry suits or, or any thermal protection that you're having. And I think a lot of people only think about, does it keep me warm? They don't all apply the same knowledge they get in their open water class about, you know, gases and how they behave underwater to the choice of a seven mil or, or a nine mil or whatever, uh, you know, thickness of wetsuit that you're going with that has an impact on how you dive and even how deep you should dive. At least in, in UTD, we say, look, if you're going to dive a seven mil, great. Don't go below 60 feet. We know, we know that there's, you know, we can't, scientifically say here's the compression that's going to happen because it's impossible because every suit's different but to keep within a real good safety margin don't go below 60 feet on a seven mil because the expansion you can control coming back up right a lot better um so on and so forth but anyway i just wanted to point out the that that's an often overlooked piece of your thermal protection is understanding what it's actually made of and because of what it's made of, how it will behave under the water. And I know we're, we'll get into to dry suits and the differences there, but um, but yeah, maybe my little soapbox came out about wetsuits because I hear it all the time. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's, I mean, that's, I mean, just in the nature of the wetsuit itself, I mean, at that same time, when you're talking about the air bubbles going away, you're losing that insulation property at depth, right? So um, anytime you're compressing stuff, you're losing that insulation, Right. Right. Um, yeah, I feel bad for when I hear stories like that. I mean, it happens all the time. I mean, because people switch. I mean, you see it in San Diego. Some people will travel somewhere from a warm destination and they're going, oh, we're going to go dive San Diego. And you go, have you ever dove in cold water before? You know, it's like <laughs> they grew up in Hawaii. Right. And you're like, have you dove a seven mil wetsuit before or anything like that? You know, so it's so it's always a question because obviously if we could just dive around in our own natural skin going around, that would be ideal. But where the water's that warm, 
most of us don't live. So right, right. You need something, and and I'm certainly not trying to bash wetsuits. Uh, so I, I realized maybe that came across that way. I, no, I no. what I'm really trying to say is be knowledgeable about what you're choosing. Right. That that's the thing, and I think often we just we just kind of go, oh well, I'm cold. Just go to a seven mil, and you go, well, there's that choice has other consequences, like you're saying both from a thermal protection standpoint and from a, from a, I would say a safety perspective um, that are important to consider when you're doing that or making that choice. Right. Yeah. I mean, wetsuits, I mean, if you think about it too, it's, it's a simple piece of dive gear. As long as it fits, you put it on and you can go diving. There's no real technical aspect of it besides the weighting. Right. Right. And that's why the wetsuit still, you know, when you're starting off, that's, what everyone chooses. It's the most popular, you know, piece going forward. Um, and the price is usually acceptable. Right. right. Um, and then there's a huge gap <laughs> when you go from wetsuit to dry suit. So that's the other reason why a lot of people just keep diving wet, you know, but yep. they'll just keep adding more and more layers on the more, you know, if they become those serious divers. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's important to in this setup here to to say that you know there there are lots of options. Um, so it, it when it even comes to wetsuits, you know I've I've seen a lot of layering even when it comes to a wetsuit, you know Farmer John style with jackets and um, different things like that. And there's a lot of of different manufacturers that offer different things, right? And so um, I think that again, this is a, a really most people that start diving start diving in a wetsuit. I know I did. And you use that wetsuit over and over and over again. Um, and eventually it wears out and you buy another one, right? And so the I think that wetsuit wetsuits have evolved forward as well, um, to be fair. But you still have to kind of go into this discussion with your eyes open in terms of how does this affect my weighting? How does it affect the safety? How does it affect you know, the, the stuff that I want to go do when it comes to a wetsuit and then also when it comes to a dry suit, right? There are safety thoughts that come in there and there are things that you need to consider, like you say, price and things like that. But for me, I can just flat out say uh, the minute I bought my my dry suit and put it on, I think I've used my, my wetsuit like twice <laughs> since then. Like it's sat there. So my wetsuit was a great investment because it's lasted me years and years and years because I just don't use it. Right? It just sits on the yeah, shelf. And then you pull it out and the rubber's all stiff. You're like, oh, I've exactly. into this before. Now I do use a wetsuit in the pool. Um, when I'm teaching in the pool, we're doing, you know, basic stuff in the pool just because I get cold um, right here and there. But uh, but that's about it. And I love like putting on a wetsuit like and you jump in the in the pool. And it just floats you there on the surface. It's so nice, you know, because <laughs> so, as a as an instructor, like I don't have to do any work to float over the top and see how people are doing because my wetsuit's doing all the work for me. It's beautiful. But um, but yeah, since I got my dry suit, I have not used a wetsuit very often. I think there was one boat charter that we took out that was a we we it's a joke amongst you know my but dive team i think i mentioned in the last episode that we call it savage diving you know we're going to go savage diving today in our wetsuits and everyone just kind of made the joke like okay fine so i just showed up with a wetsuit and i'm like yeah, i thought we were savage diving today everybody <laughs> let's go um and uh and we did we had a we had a blast and there's nothing wrong with a wetsuit at all but uh but for me 
once you go dry, you, you can't go back. At least that's my experience of it. Yeah. Well, I had a, I mean, a couple of reasons why I switched from a dry suit or a wetsuit to a dry suit. And it wasn't because I was getting cold at the time. I am not a stock clothing type of person. Um, part of that is growing up in the Midwest playing ice hockey. Um, I could not find a wetsuit that would fit my short stocky body. Apparently um, if it fit me and the chest and the arms, the thing was so long, it was useless. And then by the time I got something kind of in between, I would spend so much time just trying to get my arms and I was like exhausted. <laughs> um, so for me was uh, the first dry suit I've, you know, switching to the dry suit was, wow, I can get in and out of this is so easy. <laughs> and then I was sold right there just for that reason. Not, not whether it was staying warm or not. It was just like, I'm not like, all exhausted trying to get this stupid suit on and off for me. I mean, it was just, that's a personal thing. Cause I'm, I apparently from hockey, I have forearms, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always had issues with my calves. That's just to be totally personal here. No one, everyone's going to turn off the episode. Now, Jack and Jay are talking about their bodies. <laughs> yeah, I know. Cancel. Uh, awesome specimens right here. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I always had an issue. Like I have, I played basketball growing up in college and, I apparently have uh, the only reason I've ever been aware of my calves um, was because I I had a good friend of mine who, uh, who point, who, who uh, pointed it out that that was a very attractive part of my body. (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) My calves? Like, that's so strange. And and then I, since that day, that was like 20 years ago or something. Since that day, I, uh, I have, uh, I've been super self-aware of my calves. It's so, so weird. Like, you know, super (laughs) self-conscious about it, but all right, well, let's, you and I are both dry suit divers. Uh, There are reasons to, to savage dive. (laughs) I'll say it out loud here and there. Um, But let's, let's maybe deep dive into dry suits because I think that that's, that's really the heart of at least where your wealth of knowledge comes out and it comes into play um, in the, in the dry suit. So, you know, how do you choose a dry suit, dry suit? What are you looking for? Right. How do you actually dive one and how do you care for it? So is there special things that you need to do when you, when you decide to do, to purchase a dry suit to care for it? What, what about leaks or storage or those sorts of things? So uh, I, I cannot wait to hear your thoughts here and, and to get into this and hopefully I'll add a little color here and there. Okay. At any point in time, just stop me and just go, Oh, I, I, I don't want to like ramble too long. Right. But anyways, let's get into this. So I, the, the first question that you asked is like, what should you look for in a dry suit? The first thing I would say is, what kind of diving are you going to do? What is your purpose behind wanting to get a dry suit? Is it just to stay warm and you're just going to go out and do some, you know, just recreational dives, the local quarry, the local dive spot, whatever. Um, and you're just going to go out and have, you know, just want to stay warm. Or are you going to go do technical diving? Are you going to go do cave dives? Are you going to go um, crawl around inside wrecks and sharp objects or stuff like that? Find out what the purpose is of your diving because there's not just one brand, one type of suit on the market. 
there's a whole range that you can go from. It's not like probably when dry suits started, you know, back in the early DUI days, you had very few choices on what, what suits you would get, what material. But now there's so many different manufacturers, so many different benefits here and there. So look for one, you should, if you're talking with someone, they should be asking you questions about what kind of diving are you doing? Right. Um, Cause that's a big thing. Of course. I mean, the other big question is what's your price? You know, what's your budget? Um, and that budget just in general, a rough estimate, you're going to look in, in general, I'd say it's a big number. $2,000 I would say is a decent dry suit. You can go mm-hmm. up or down from that in either direction. Um, but that's kind of like the starting area I would say for dry suits. And then of course, as you go more expensive, there's more features, more durability. So the next question is where, what does your dive shop offer? Right. Do they carry the brand that you want? Um, if not, um, have you done your research on just the different things? I mean, when you go and take some of the dry suit classes, they go, Oh, here's the different kinds of suits. There's the trilaminate suits. There's the neoprene suits, blah, blah, blah. There's all these things. So do some research online. So you kind of get a, an idea ahead of time of what you are looking at. But the person that's helping you pick out a dry suit should really be asking you those questions of what kind of diving are you looking at? Um, what, I mean, so for example, just to myself, I've had the durable dry suits and I started off with a very lightweight dry suit went to a durable heavy duty one and I went back to the lightweight one. And the reason for me, my goal was not just the technical diving and all that stuff. I want something light that I could travel with. Okay. So that was one of the needs that I had for my own personal suit. The next person, they may go, well, I plan on going inside of a wreck and I plan on crawling around and get it all full of oil and rust and all that stuff. Hmm. Maybe you should get a more <laughs> robust dry suit <laughs> right. for that, right? Um, so you have to look at what your goal is for that, then trying to fit into that price range. And then with the way, I mean, oh, here's the the main, I break these suits down into, I would say, to kind of two categories. There's like the entry-level suits and then the higher end, I would say the more, not say dedicated, but the more robust suits that take care of and last longer. Um, I don't want to name brands, but there are some brands out there that you can get for relatively cheap, you know, in that thousand dollar range or less. It may not last that long. Um, There has to be, there's always compromises, right? Because if you think about a dry suit's just made out of either fabric or some sort of neoprene. And if it's fabric, how durable is that fabric, right? Right. <laughs> and then how is the suit built? Um, one of the big questions right off the bat is, um, why is that suit cost X number of dollars less than this more expensive suit? And it could just be in the way that it was built. It's not like the sewing machines are different, um, but how did they make it so it doesn't leak? How did right. they, because every time the needle goes through the material, right, it's poking holes. So how do they seal that, Right. So it comes down to that. And historically, what, what I've seen so far, um, 
it's real fast to make the dry suits, but the taped seam dry suits tend to not last as long as something that has like the urethane seams where it's bonded to the material. Right. So you kind of have to do a little research to get into that when you're looking for a suit. You know, and it com- comes down to, does the dye shop carry that? Are they giving you ample knowledge for that? And will they give you a good training on that dry suit? I mean, that is really important thing to look at also because when it comes to your dry suit, if you're getting this dry suit from, I don't want to, again, you want the people that you're getting the dry suit from to be dry suit divers. Mm-hmm. Okay. The people that are teaching you how to dive a dry suit, you want them to be dry suit divers because they know the ins and outs of a dry suit versus, oh, I, I can teach that right. um, type of thing because you want to get that firsthand knowledge and that comfort level of the instructor knows what they're talking about. Right. 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 And I think you, you point out an important question. I mean, we can talk about, so in full disclosure, Jack um, sold me my new dry suit. Um, so uh, that, that, and I am so excited about that. So I just arrived and uh, I have not gotten the water yet cause I'm still packing boxes and moving, but that is on my like, tippy, 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 tippy front of my brain. Like I want, I want to get in the water. I want to get in the water. Like, I've been tempted to go get in the pool, but I'm not going to do it. Um, but when we started talking about that, one of the interesting things was, you know, when you said, what kind of diving are you going to do? And I said, you know, a lot of people go, well, well, all of it, right. I want to, I want to do, do you want to do Rex? Like, well, yeah, maybe you know, I, I just saw this post, you know, on uh, some social media site where it was like, I just got my open water. Um, what should I get for X, Y, and Z? I'll maybe go to cave and you're going like, wow, that's a very early, like, you know, but maybe not, not that's, I don't want to advance past, you know, uh, my advanced open water, um, but maybe cave. And you go like, Whoa, that's a huge jump. If like the line in the sand is advanced open water period. And then, but in asterisks, but maybe cave someday. Right. So I think some, some folks out there, when you get asked the question, what kind of diving are you doing? Um, the answer could be, you know, all of it, or I don't know. And I think if you're in that category, it's good to understand, okay, well, well, not just what are your aspirations, because those are good. And what path are, are you actually on the path for those aspirations? It's like Jack saying, if you say, well, eventually someday I want to get to wreck, but I'm not going to start that for five years or whatever it is. And you buy a super thick suit right? For protection for wreck, but all you're doing for the next three or four years is shallow reef dives. It's probably going to be uncomfortable, right? <laughs> like the majority of what you're doing is that, right? So um, I think when you asked me that, I said, look, I I'm, I know we're doing more exploration. I know I don't know what that means. It could mean shimming through a little piece of whatever. It could mean, you know, we, we did a project that was like a riverbed and it was, you know, a 20 foot dive for two hours that we found nothing, you know, I, it could be that like, it's kind of a, a big range of things, um, that, that I could run into and I want to be prepared for that. And so that led us down the path of understanding what materials to choose and, and how to kind of put that together. And turns out like, I'm super happy with what I got. Right. Because it's that in between space between the lighter suit and the, and the more thick suit, because I want it to be able to be versatile. So I think that's a good thing to keep in mind that what is the diving you're really doing on a regular basis? 
and where that aspiration exists. And then the other thing that you said that I wanted to kind of highlight as well is that um, just like any piece of scuba equipment, you know, it takes training and time in the saddle to really dial it in. And so I remember my first dry suit dive, um, I went with a, a diver who, who comes from the Pacific Northwest. So he was a, a tried and true dry suit diver, right? He, he, he had to, uh, that's colder water right. than, <laughs> than San Diego. Right. And, um, and I wanted to learn from him. I remember the first time, you know, I, I dove my dry suit. Um, I got a bunch of gas trapped in my feet and I felt like I was like, running through sand or quicksand, you know, I just couldn't get my feet on my fins and, you know, it was just a mess. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of funny to say it now, uh, looking back, but that's what it's going to feel like, you know, probably your first time diving it and getting that training and putting in the, the work to dial that suit in. It's not just get it a wetsuit. There really isn't any training. And I think that's probably one of the reasons that gets used, so often in an open water class is because if you add a dry suit, you're adding a layer of extra training that the instructor would have to do. And so my encouragement is if if you choose a dry suit, which I would recommend to any diver out there, whether you're warm water or you're not, um, that you also choose your training, um, you know, carefully. And, and uh, I think Jack has really good advice there that you get trained by somebody who dives a dry suit, right? That that's what they do. Uh, on that's what they choose, and and that's true in general of any training. In my opinion, is that you want to train with people that that's what that's what they dive. That's how they dive. So you want to learn how they dive because there's just an immense amount of knowledge that isn't in the academics. That isn't you know going to be in the curriculum that's promised on the online course or or that's sold on you know their website. That you just by observing a diver who is in their element doing their thing, you are going to gain so much from that rather than somebody who, like you see, I like the word can, I can train that because I'm qualified to, but I dive wetsuits most of the time. It's okay to ask the instructor, do you, do you drive, do you dive a, a wetsuit or a dry suit most of the time? And if the answer is wetsuit, no worries. Find another instructor, right? Like no big deal. The answer is dry suit. Okay, which kind of dry suit? What kind of diving are you doing? So on and so forth. So I think those are two key things I wanted to pull out of what you said there because I think they're really, really important points for for someone that's considering dry suit or maybe you own one and you're uncomfortable in it. And that to me comes back down to training, right? I've had a lot of people come to me and say, hey, Jay, I have this dry suit. Like I, I don't know how... Your training is, but man, the way I got trained, I don't feel comfortable in it. Can you train me in it? Yeah, let's go. And by the end of one day, they're dialed in and feel great. By you know the next day that we go fun dive, they they love their dry suit. So the training has a lot to do with the the I think enjoyment level that you get out of it as well. Yeah, I mean it's and and then do once you do get your dry suit certification, you're diving. It takes some people dozens of dives before they start feeling comfortable. I mean, you always hear the story of, Oh, I put it on. It's, Oh, I love it. You know, I'm a natural. Right. And then you turn around and it's like, why aren't you diving a dry suit? Oh, I don't like it. I'm like how many times did you dive it? Two times. I'm like, well, give it a chance. Right. <laughs> um, Cause it really comes down to a practice type of thing. Right. Um, you have to learn. I mean, again, 
you have, unlike a wetsuit where you have a bunch of little bubbles, you have a, a whole suit full of air, right? So it's building up that comfort level right there of, you know, how do you handle the air, the compression? You know, um, there's a lot of, I guess, people get worried when they start diving a dry suit. Um, I know that in the class, they put you through these scenarios. It's to practice something. So if you do get in that scenario, you kind of know what to do. Um, but it's, but I, I always feel bad because it's like they flip you upside down, <laughs> right? And you're full of air in the suit, but you're only like 10 feet underwater. There's no way you're going to get solve the issue in 10 feet. <laughs> right. No. So it's like, hmm, you're, don't scare people too much, but realize that, you know, with some practice, you shouldn't be getting into those situations anyways. Um, especially one, um, uh, there's a lot of things I call um, user error. And the basic user error is like with any dive equipment, did you maintain your dive gear? Right. Yes. <laughs> um, did you make sure that the valves are working on your dry suit? Um, are the seals still good? You know, a lot of people dive their dry suits seasonally and they let them sit around and then they pull them out there in the cold water and the first dive, they go, I was wet. Yep. <laughs> right. And it's like, mm, but did you do any maintenance? Did you store it properly? All that other stuff, yep. you know? Yep. Um, but I, I do have one little interesting story where it crosses over wetsuit and dry suit. It, it, this is a kind of a DUI story. Um, one of the things that, was kind of like a, 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 I guess, a privilege to work at DUI is um, the owner, the founder of DUI, Dick Long, he started the company in 1963. Super, I mean, he's a diver, right? He he dove all the time. He did stuff for the military. He did, you know, these hot water suits for saturation divers, you know, in, in the 70s going way down, working on the oil oil rigs and all this other stuff. Um, but one of the things that he did was he worked with the Navy SEALs in San Diego and they always had problems, one, keeping the divers warm. Um, so they had wetsuits and then they had those vehicles, you know, the James Bondy things that they ride in. <laughs> um, and they and the operators, they could drive the vehicles underwater, go around with no problem. But what happened was they would load up the vehicles with different divers. They're all different sizes, right? Um, and then they put this neoprene on, they'd go down and all of a sudden they're going back up and day one with the one set of people, it would work. But the next day is a different group of people and they're like shooting to the surface because the different buoyancies of their, of their wetsuits, the, the bubbles expanding, so to speak. So he was on this goal to, find a material that didn't do that. And that's how they came up with the, the CF 200 material. It was all by accident. Um, they had this, and by the way, our, the CF 200 material is a trilaminate, even though it's neoprene. So it's three, it's still three layers. Right. Um, but what they had, what happened was he had a piece of neoprene sitting on the ground, took like back in the day, back, you know, think this, this is like back in the seventies. <laughs> um, the equivalent of a Home Depot bucket, and it was full of tools or water, a bunch of heavy stuff, and it was sitting on a piece of neoprene for several days. And then when he went and moved the bucket, he noticed that there's this permanent crease on the neoprene. 
And then when he cut it open, he noticed that the bubbles were gone in that part of the neoprene. And the material itself, the neoprene bonded to itself. So therefore crushing all the air bubbles out. And then so that's how they started making these early wetsuits and dry suits for the military because they had material that they could control the buoyancy characteristics. It was neutrally buoyant on its own. Um, So they use that in those early military applications. Uh, And it's still material that's being sold today. So it's, it's kind of crazy. So when you come down, you're going to, we're going to go do a tour and you're going to see this crazy piece of Navy material kit tank. looks like torpedo tubes um, Mm. that they still use to crush the material from way back when till today. I mean, it looks more beat up now, but um, so, I mean, and that's what I'm just saying. There's a lot of different kinds of materials out there. Obviously there's new, more modern materials um, and yes, trilaminates. I would go over trilaminate or a crushed neoprene versus a compressed neoprene. There's a lot in that compressed versus crushed. Um, (laughs) So that's kind of like a little bit of my bias because Compressed means those air bubbles still exist in the neoprene. So you still have those buoyancy characteristics. Right. So anyways. <laughs> no, that's a cool a little story. Side sidetrack on the stories there. Yeah, no, I mean it's cool to cool to get the uh the background information on the crushed neoprene versus well it's crushed neoprene plus trilam, which is which is super cool. Um but but it's always the you know the the need it's meeting that need and super interesting on how that need presented itself. Right. And of course we benefit today from that quote unquote discovery of a need that like, look, look, some people shoot to the surface, some people don't. Well, we benefit today when we talk about, you know, the different materials that are out there um, come from those needs. So that's, that's really cool. And, and I'll just say from my perspective, I think that the, the discussion around training and needs and all of those things when when something comes up new right um like this that you're talking about with a story it then requires us to train to be able to use it right if that makes sense so we we have this discovery we train and, and we now understand how to use it the manufacturers have to understand how to utilize it correctly so on and so forth right and so i think when it comes back down to in a lot of ways is is also if you are that diver in some ways that's <laughs> struggling or having problems or you're getting cold or man, I always, you know, I'm holding my my safety stop at 15 feet. And, you know, for whatever reason, the minute I move a little bit, boom, off I go to the surface. Those are you, you then have new needs, right? And I think being aware of those, meeting those needs uh is really, really important. So that's good stuff. Um, good stuff. Anything else in, I mean, gosh, I, I bet you we could talk for three or four hours about just dry suits <laughs> themselves, but um, how, how do you care for them? So what, what are some things maybe behind the scenes that, yeah, I mean, storage, sure. How often should I wax my zipper, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, what are some of the thoughts that you have around caring for a dry suit once you've made that investment? Yeah, that's, uh, that is a big thing. Cause remember, Everyone's supposedly servicing their regulators every year, but how often do people service their dry suits? Um, when a dry suit's brand new, yeah, maybe you can skip the first year, but as the material, remember, it's material, it starts wearing out. You may 
walk on it, step on it, fold it, slam it in the car door or whatever, or in the tailgate of your pickup, you need to start looking at maintaining it. So I do recommend at a certain point, sending your dry suit into a, 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 when I say a valid, someone that you trust that works on dry suits to make sure they, they give it a once over, look at it. They'll fix some of the seams. They'll fix some of the weak, weak points on the suit. You'll see those points on that suit. Um, cause for example, if you're diving a back plate and a wing and you have, um, a crotch strap on your harness and you tend to walk around a lot, that webbing is like a saw. It starts cutting through the material. So is that part of the suit that you need to check to make sure it's not wearing the material up? So visual inspections help with that stuff. Send it in yearly. Um, if you do put your dry suit away during the summer months type of thing, and people always go, oh, I have it hanging in my garage. You know, to me, there's a couple things in that statement that kind of scare me. Um, the first one, it's in the garage. Um, your dry suit probably has latex seals on it. Um, the material, the rubber layer between the trilaminates, butyl rubber. So you have all these things that don't like ozone. And your car, the water heater in your garage, whatever's the washing, drying machine in your garage, these are all things that will break down those latex-like products. Um, when I say break down, you could, you'll see either a, a visual inspection right away is like, look at the neck seal if you have latex seals. If you stretch a little bit and start has all these little cracks in there, that's breaking down. You need to replace it. It's just a matter of time before you just split the whole thing. The other thing that happens is that breaking down doesn't necessarily mean dry and cracky. It could turn into goo. <laughs> like literally it's like glue. Um, I've seen these super pretty dry suits. They left the neck seal on, they left it in storage and they pull it out and the latex just bonded to this pretty color material that they had on their suit. And it, there's no way of getting that out. It's right. just like tar. Right. So, so storing it, in a garage, maybe not the best thing. Um, <laughs> some people don't have options. The other thing is when you're hanging a dry suit up, that's fine for short term, but for long term, think about just the weight of the suit itself, pulling on not just the seams, it's all stitched together, right? So a quality dry suit will have the material overlapped and they run a double stitch on it. Hopefully it's a locking stitch. So if a thread does break, it's still maintains it doesn't go you know you see those uh cartoons with the cat and the sweater right <laughs> so it doesn't go you know just pull all the way out so you want these locking stitches so when your suit's hanging there that's a lot of pressure over time pulling down on those seams and then pulling down on the part of the suit that's keeping you dry which is this the seam seals that go over the threads that's a lot of weight so the best way to store it in so this is the ultimate answer by the way the best way to store your dry suit is to use your dry suit there you go exactly <laughs> <laughs> but but if you do have to store it i would say fold it gently don't crush it um, and then store it in a place that's cool and dry 
where you're limited by those ozone type generating, you know, equipment. Yes, don't you know, put it in the, the water exhaust on your co- yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and letting your car run in the garage with the garage closed is not good for it. Um, so, and then of course moving the suit around a little bit because depends on the kind of suit it is. You can f- create these permanent folds in some of the seams, which is really actually bad for the taped seam suits. Um, taped seam suits, you have two. It's just kind of like a a science class. You have two dissimilar pieces of material (laughs) that will flex differently. Um, Over time, they will separate from each other. I mean, it just happens. So that's that part, right? Just storing it. Yeah, so now wait, I have some to... questions. I have some questions. <laughs> okay. so. I was going to get into the daily use. Yeah, yeah. So, so okay, storing it, maybe not long-term, but short-term. So um, I know there are different schools of thought because I've heard them both. I'm curious your opinion on, um, let's say, short-term being uh, under a month, right? Uh, let's just put a number there. Um, do you hang your suit upside down from the boots or do you hang your suit right side up from the shoulders um, when you're – when you're storing it on a hanger? Uh, neither. <laughs> neither. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I subscribe to the over the rack method. Okay. Um, so I have like a clothing rack bar that's padded and I just kind of go half over. So it's not taking the full weight. Gotcha. And truly, if it's going to be a month, I probably had folded it up and put it on the shelf. But again, going back to my rule number one, I dive my dry suit. Yep. Yeah. So I store mine. Um, it's interesting because I, I dive pretty much every, every week. I mean, I try to dive every week, um, if not twice a week, but I store mine boots from hanging from the boots on, on a rack for that week. But my reasoning is a little bit different. And that is because I've been living in Texas. Uh, you know, the number one rule before you put on boots is check, check your boots. <laughs> And I've heard stories, um, literally, of folks that that have uh, zipped up their dry suit and didn't realize creepy crawlies got in there, and um, and then the dive realized that it happened. And I, I just I, that thought just, and they could still get in there hanging upside down, but I take the thing off, and there's an opening, you know, before I fold it and put it in the bag to get everything out of it, rather than something crawling down into a boot that gets hidden away. And I heard that one story and it just stuck with me that like, I don't want to put on my suit and there's a scorpion that's diving with me. Like that does not sound like fun. So I store my suit upside down. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So that fear of the scorpion thing, I was in Mexico and that actually happened to somebody. Oh my gosh. And then the crazy thing was, it, it was it was it was like this two inch two three inch long scorpion it was like big um it was in the bottom of his boot whatever and he said it he didn't feel it and he after he took it out i mean it was dead as squished but um he had like two like punctures in his foot and i'm like dude are you gonna die right <laughs> and he's like oh i'm like god but apparently it didn't affect him so huh. that was good, but then he also saved this thing in a, in a and I was like showing he's showing around the shop, and I'm just like in horror. And I'm like, I'm knocking out my shoes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so 
yeah, that has happened. I'm just saying I, I saw it, witnessed it. Um, yeah. Okay. But going back to the question inside, outside, upside down. Yeah. It, if it's just storing it, I'm not so worried about upside down or right side up. But if you're drying it, it's a different story. Okay. Um, so drying it, obviously, one of the things that everyone really confuses about a dry suit and they complain, they go, well, your dry suit, you're always wet. You know, that's the statement you hear all the time. Like, it's, you have a brand new dry suit, you're going to be all wet. I'm like, going, hmm, it could be condensation because everybody sweats, yep. right? So when you take off your dry suit after a dive, whether it's hot, cold out or whatever, there's going to be some sort of moisture in your suit. So obviously if it's flooded, you want to hang it upside down. So the water drips out, but the idea is to dry the inside of your suit out. So in my daily diving, my suit is neither inside or outside for any length of time. So when I'm done with diving, I will rinse off the outside of the suit to get the salt water off or whatever um, strawberry anemone goo that's all stuck all over the sleeves and kind of stinky. I <laughs> rinse all that off. <laughs> I will then throw it over my half rack and let it drip dry. Once it kind of is done doing the drip dry, you know, the main water, like before I go to bed, I will go back out and I will flip the dry suit inside out as far as you can. It's hard with some boots to get all the way inside out. But the purpose of that is to dry off the inside of the suit. Um, your suit will get funky if you don't do that. Um, so then I will let it dry inside out. So the inside's always dry. Then I will reflip it back. For example, the next morning, if the outside's a little wet, damp, oh, well, it's on the outside. It's not on the inside, the part that I want to be dry with. Right. Right. Okay. Good. So that's kind of like half and half. Good. Good. No, it's just good to know how you how you treat your suit. I'm learning things here. All right. Another another question along the same line, which is, yes, you're right. Your suit will get funky. Either it gets funky because you sweat and you stink, and it just gets in there, and at some point your suit's funky, or um, you're you're a dummy like me and you forgot to open your P valve one time, and uh, and then it gets nice and stinky. <laughs> Uh, which I didn't I didn't realize when I first got my dry suit that there is an open and in a closed position for your suit uh, or for your, for that valve. But uh, how do you, Jackter, then take your suit if it's funky and get the funk out? Um, about once a month or so, um, I will rinse out the inside of my suit, and usually that works well enough for me. Um, because I'm more on the preventative maintenance side of it. Um, if you're going to clean the inside of the suit, um, there's a couple things you shouldn't do. One is you have to think that inside there's the seams that are keeping you dry. And if you ever have to have repair work done, you don't want to have some sort of weird chemical embedded into the fibers on the inside of the suit. Because that could possibly compromise how well your suit um, bonds with the new sealant. Mm. So use water. Water's safe. Um, if you have to use some sort of cleaning product, um, we suggest that you use Simply Green um, because it's 
you know, it's not harmful. It's not full of chemicals. Um, I mean, that's the basic thing. I mean, because they don't want to use like a shampoo with all the lotions and, and stuff like that in it because that's, that's actually not good for the material. I mean, yeah. it helps with the smell. But so going back to like how do you make it so it's not funky, so to speak, um, wash your undergarments. <laughs> um, and also wear more than just one undergarment. You wear a base layer. Um, and the base layer is kind of a wicking layer. It keeps the moisture away from your skin. But that wicking layer is also the layer that absorbs all the oils from your skin. Mm-hmm. So therefore, your undergarments don't get as stinky. Then that doesn't translate into rubbing on the inside of your suit. So hopefully the condensation is just from the perspiration condensing condensation on the inside of the suit. So that's just basically just water. So hopefully that makes it less stinky. Um, If you go dry gloves, by the way, I don't know. It's sometimes dry gloves. They are just like wetsuit booties. I I swear they put something in there that makes it like, no matter what you do, it's going to stink eventually. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So anyways, I have dry gloves. I take the dry gloves off every time and I make sure those are sitting out, getting air circulating in them because I don't like the inside of the glove to get funky. Um, But as far as liners go and undergarments, I, I cheat. I wash my stuff constantly <laughs> yeah no i mean and it's good advice because like so for example if you're gonna go travel with your dry suit um one of the things i do is i i have two identical sets of of uh base layer and so what i'll do is wear the first one the first day right and then depending on the situation if i'm at an airbnb great i have a washer and dryer right there right and so i make sure that i can use that and i wash them but there's been situations where you don't have a washer and dryer, where you have the sink. And of course, if you wash your undergarments in the sink and try to dry them overnight so you're ready for the boat at eight in the morning, the next morning, you're going to have wet, uh, you know, um, a base layer. So that's why I pack two pairs of identical base layers with me when I travel is that, oh, okay, well, it'll dry throughout the course of a day after I wash it. And then I just cycle those back and forth. Um, for the for the rest of the the time, right? So yeah, I agree. I think making sure you wash your stuff, socks included. I mean, I'm kind of a cheater, anyways, when it comes to that stuff. I wear like Under Armour, um, you know, 3.0 base layer stuff. I wear my Lakers socks. I always think it's funny. Like I have these wool <laughs> Lakers socks that people see on a on a dive boat, and they're just like, "What are you wearing?" I'm like, "Man, these things keep my feet perfect. They're not too hot. And they're not too cold." I love my little wool basketball socks I wear, um, but I have multiple pairs of them so that I can wash overnight and let dry for a full day before I have to use it again. Um, and that's a good thing to throw in your in your dive trip bag is a little thing of simple green or whatever it would be that you're going to wash your undergarments in um, overnight whenever you're on a trip. So these are all really good trips. What do you think of, um, I mean, I've seen products out there like Sink the Sink, Sink the stink other things they're kind of similar non-chemically stuff that that people have used i'm not maybe i'm a bad example with that i haven't used most of those other ones um because it's one of those things where i do listen to some people at work 
that have been, you know, at DUI for 30 years plus. They're, and I go, oh, should I? And they, I get the look like, what are you thinking? Just use this. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, so, so there's times where I just listen to their advice. Um, so, so there could be other products out there, but definitely look for things that are not going to leave harmful chemicals, you know, residue on the suit or on the, you know, on the suit or the undergarments. Um, I let me throw a little disclaimer here on undergarments. Not all undergarments can be washed exactly the same. Um, there's different materials of undergarments, the fleece type ones. They're like everything you can throw in the wash machine, dryer, all that stuff. Um, but be aware that every time you wash it, it is breaking down over time. So one of the things is, it's kind of funny. You can buy the exact same undergarment a year or two later, and the new one's always going to be warmer because it hasn't been broken down yet. Um, but there's materials out there in some of the undergarments that don't take very well to heat. Um, the fibers inside um, that are keeping you insulated will break down with heat, you know, the dryer, hot water. So there's some things that you have to be careful. So make sure you are are cautious or read the directions on washing that. Um, and then I, I do have this... Uh, it's kind of it's like my nightmare story. There's in San Diego. There's a boat that they have a dryer on the deck. It's beautiful, right? Because you always <laughs> got someone there. They wash their clothes or they use their towel and they throw it in the dryer. Whenever I'm hosting the dive boat I'm, and I'm on that boat, I'm like, okay, people, rule number one: don't put your socks in the dryer. And they're like, but they're wet. I'm like. Do them at another time because it, it never fails. You know, because you'll get that your your undergarments might be a little damp. So you're going to throw them in there just to get, you know, to dry them off, you know, from the condensation, right? Instead of just hanging out because you want to put on these nice, warm, toasty undergarments that are all nice and warm. And then you pull it out and you go, oh, <laughs> it, it smells like, like someone's stinky <laughs> socks. <laughs> it's just a nightmare. Um, so that is why I always bring multiple undergarments with me because <laughs> there there's go. always, sorry, there's always, I don't, I apologize if you're that guy, but, or that person, there's always a person that will still put their stinky socks in the dryer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that might be my Lakers socks are going in there when we go diving <laughs> together. I don't care. No. <laughs> and I think maybe this is another good, a good little, we're, we're kind of in the, the, the tips and, and tricks portion of, of this, the, the last piece of it here. But when it does come to arm undergarments, since we're on the subject of stinky ones, um, you know, I think too, I, I get the question a lot around undergarments of, well, how do I select those? And actually Ben Boss, who, who's co-host, uh, the second co-host of the season, um, has a great video out there about that. But essentially what the, the long and short advice I give, and I'm curious your advice here on selecting on undergarments is thinking about, again, if you're going to go to the snow, right, or if you've been in the snow, um, the strategy is always to layer up to the point that you will be comfortable, right? So that might start with a base layer and then thermal layer and then so on and so forth, depending on how cold you're actually going to be um, out in, in the snow. And I say apply the same principle to to your dry suit, right, when it comes to undergarments, which is, you know, if you tend to get very cold, 
on that dive, then you need to add more layers to your whatever you're wearing. You need more. If you're overheating a bit or you're sweating a bit too much, then you need to strip off a layer, right? So it's it's the same basic principle of layering, but it just comes back down to dependent on how your body is reacting in that environment that you might need a little bit more or a little bit less based on your undergarments. And and I and I'm this is no hit to any manufacturer out there um, because I think that there are some great undergarments that are designed for diving um and that that i think it's more designed for the warmth and to work with in or conjunction with your dry suit right to fit well um but i also say like look you could buy a pair of sweats and a sweatshirt from you know your favorite sports team and that's a layer and so like that might be all you need so that's that's my opinion on uh, my user's side opinion on <laughs> undergarments and um, and how I kind of approach it. I'm curious what your where, where you get with like how important the name brand on the undergarment is and how important the choice of materials and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. I just kind of say layer up and use whatever you got and you'll be fine. Okay, it's uh, a good question. I, I'm going to go take a step backwards though. Remember that first question of. What do you plan on doing for your diving? When you have your dry suit, um, not everybody's seen the movie, but the Christmas story, you know how the little brother comes out and his arms are like, oh, he can't move because his mom puts so many layers on underneath. <laughs> it's like the best part of the movie when he gets pushed over and he can't like, he can't, can't get move. Up. He's, just like, <laughs> he's kicking. What's so funny so, is first time I ever saw that movie was this last Christmas. And I, I so, it's so sad to admit that, but for whatever reason, I just never watched the movie. And, and so this last Christmas I saw it for the first time and I laughed my head off. I thought it was hilarious. So, well, the same principle applies to dry suits. Um, so, knowing where you're going to be diving, you want to have the, your dry suit have enough room underneath it to accommodate the undergarments. Because I always get the question is, which dry suit's the warmest? And I'm like, well, the material it has different durabilities. It's the undergarments that keep you warm. The dry right. suit's job is to keep you dry. Right. So knowing that it's keeping you dry, I mean, some material being thicker, obviously, just from a pure physics standpoint, thicker material trans the heat loss is a little bit slower because it's thicker material, et cetera. But in the end, it's the undergarments that keep you warm. So exactly what you said, I subscribe to the layering method. Um, My dry suit is sized personally, so I can wear the thickest undergarments or I can layer up into it. So when I wear that in the Bahamas, I'm just wearing like a wicking layer. The suit looks big on me. But yet if I come to San Diego and I start laying up because the temperature is 50 degrees or colder, the suit starts looking better. So it fits because I don't want to have it. So it's so tight that I am that kid just going, Oh, I can't move. Right. That's an unsafe situation, right? You can't, you can't reach your valves. You can't, so there is some responsibility in, in doing that properly so you can move. You need to have that full range of motion um, to be safe. So layering's good. Um, that's a good thing. I want to contradict one little thing. Um, in a real cold environment, not every layer underneath is necessarily good. Like 
I don't say just go out and get a sweatshirt because a sweatshirt's probably made out of cotton. Cotton is a bad insulator if it gets wet. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to look at materials that keep you warm even when they're wet. So those materials are from the natural end would be like a wool. Um, and then on the synthetic side, it's the fleece material. Um, those will still keep your body semi-warm, even though there's water inside. It kind of takes on that wetsuit principle that your body starts heating up the water next to your body, so to speak, in that case. Um, but you want something that does that. And yes, there are specifically designed undergarments for diving. I mean, you hear this all the time. Um, people go, oh, I went to REI and I got this undergarment. It's 300 grain, gram, whatever material. And it comes back and it's this paper thin shirt. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, that's nice. But you could have bought a 300 gram undergarment for diving and it'll be like a quarter inch thick. The difference is, is the loft of those grains because it's the air that keeps you warm. Mm. So in conjunction with that, you also have to look at how much does it crush? Remember, as you go down, the air compression around your suit will compress in. You get the squeeze. Um, if that material squeezes too much, you lose the insulating properties. Um, so the diving undergarments have, I would say, less compression than a normal, you know, regular everyday hiking you know, sweatshirt type right. of thing. Right. Um, they're designed to not necessarily design chosen the material that's less compression. Like even at DUI, we have this little, you know, those micrometers that test the thickness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so everything's tested, but like under how much pressure does it compress down to, you know, and is that going to be the right thermal properties? Right. So again, going back to that layering and the other question I always get is, I'm diving in 60 degree water. What undergarment do I get? And I answer back, I go, how tolerant are you to cold? Right. (laughs) Um, I have friends that will dive the thickest undergarments in that same 60 degree water. And I'm like, hmm, I might dive a 150 undergarment. (laughs) And they're diving a 450. It's just, what are you personally tolerant to? And then having that ability to layer to those cold, you know, either warm or cold, that's really what you're looking at in the long run, tailored to what you're going to dive. I mean, when I say I bring two undergarments with me on a dive trip, it's actually more than that because I'll bring the two undergarments, I'll bring a vest, I'll bring, (laughs) I bring a bunch of stuff because I don't know what it will be. I may be colder for the night dive, so I'll put on the vest. Right. You know, I'll add those layers. And that's the best method for doing that stuff. And one of the things that we didn't even touch on is um, the the latest craze, which is not really latest, but it's very popular as people are going towards the electric or active heating undergarments. Yep. Um, DUI was a pioneer in that. We kind of are not pursuing that at this time, Um, although we've done a bunch of stuff for the military recently. Uh, We just haven't made a consumer version of it. But the active heating, the battery warm undergarments, they really do help. Um, And I'm seeing a lot of technical divers going that route because 
if they're doing a half an hour of decompression hanging there, um, having that burst of heat can help um, the your saturation levels dissipate faster and easier and you're more comfortable not sitting there shaking, right? right? Right. So, so the active heating does have a place, especially, um, you know, for some of the divers that they can't, even in a dry suit, they'll still get cold. Yep. I mean, so there is that whole layer. And then you do have to plan for the type of active heating. Some are connected where the batteries on the outside. There's some where the batteries on the inside. And I just throw a little word of caution in with batteries on the inside, make sure they're rated for being in the water. Yeah. Because... <laughs> Um, there's always user error. See, I'm not blaming the dry suit, <laughs> blaming the diver. There could be a leak, right? You don't want to have electronics get wet if they're not designed to get wet. Yep. Yep. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and to your to your point there, I think it's kind of what we said earlier as well, is that ideally you're actually cold on the way down and warm on the way up from a decompression standpoint, saturation perspective, right? which I think those studies have illuminated and maybe led to a little bit of the these the this newer version of flipping the heater on at the deco stop right at your first deco mm-hmm. stop to aid your decompression in some ways from a technical diving perspective so um yeah absolutely i mean i think gosh um okay we we do have to wrap this one up cuz i like said, we could, we could have talked for hours and hours about this but i think okay let's wrap it up with this simple question which is the one of the biggest deterrents to getting into a dry suit is always at least what i hear is cost right that it costs a lot more than a wetsuit and you know i'm Am I really going to be that much? It's kind of like I bought a boat in 2020. We called it our, our COVID relief plan because <laughs> you could uh, you could actually go out and do that, right? We got a wakeboard boat and um, and you can go out and wakeboard and, and have fun and be on the lake without any risk of getting COVID. It's like being in your living room because you're not in contact with anyone other than your family, right? So I, that, that was our, our plan and we had a blast doing it. But we didn't buy an expensive crazy expensive boat. We bought an older boat. You know, are we really going to like this? Those sorts of things. And I remember being out on the lake and, and some boats, um, wakeboard boats are crazy expensive in my mind. Like, you know, you're talking like 200,000, $300,000 for a boat. And I, it just like blows my mind, right? I don't have that kind of money, um, to, to spend. <laughs> I'm not even full time in the dive industry yet. So, uh, so there say, you go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yes. What dive industry job do you have? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Right. Yeah. So I mean, so you know, the looking at that, we'd be out on the lake, and and I constantly would say, like, I I know that looks really nice, but there's no way they're having two hundred thousand dollars more fun than we are. You know, like, there's no way they're having three hundred thousand dollars more fun than we are, even with all the cool features. I mean, they have they have boats now. This blows my mind that you wear a watch, and you can actually control the wake on the boat. You can switch it oh, left wow. to right cool. from the watch, right? You can control the height and the pitch of the weight that's producing just from the watch, which is awesome and amazing and such cool technology. Um, but I guarantee that it's not $300,000 worth more fun than we are. And the same thing can be said about a dry suit. If you're in a, in a wetsuit is I guarantee they're not, you know, $2,000 more warm than I am. I can deal with a little bit of cold. 
So mm-hmm. I, I'm going to throw this question out to both of us um, because I, I, this is not pointed at, at you at work. It's really a question. You and I both dive dry. You and I have talked a lot about it. The In retrospect, is it worth it? Is it worth the investment that you're going to make in a dry suit um, and in your training to get trained on how to use that dry suit and in the maintenance of that suit to care for it long term um, to go into a dry suit or should I just keep on every couple of years replacing my wetsuit or have different versions of wetsuits I can use? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. But if you just, if you just take San Diego, for example, I mean, that's, you know, backyard right here and you go down and you look at, there's some guys I see, they still wear the farmer Johns. They're, they're diving up forever and they have dry suits. They just never, they just go with the easy, right? Um, and then there's other people you see always in a dry suit. So again, it comes down to, can you tolerate that cold? And when it comes down to, is it worth it? So remember I was talking about, there's a price range. I mean, you can get dry suits down that thousand dollar range all all the way up to $5,000, right? There's this, that whole range, but it comes down to how frequently are you diving? I mean, is it worth buying a $5,000 dry suit to go dive cold once or twice a year? You know, I mean, some people, sure. But if you're diving every week and yes, your water temperatures are cold. And if it's starting to deter you from from diving because it's too cold and you want a suit that will last because I would say it could be worth it if you do the math. Okay. An example would be, I'm not saying every high end suit will last like this, but I, but I want to kind of go back to that CF 200 material I was talking about. It's that material is crazy. So I've seen suits that are 15 to 20 years old and yes, they've had to replace the seals. Obviously they've replaced the zippers but the investment they made back then, it was probably only a couple thousand dollars back then, um, they're still using that same suit. So in some cases, yes, it's way worth it, you know, um, and it's how well do you treat that suit over time. Um, then again, if you're just casually diving and you want to go with a lower cost suit, it could still be worth it. If it lasts two, three years even though it's, you know, one of those suits that, you know, it only has like a one-year warranty or a three-year warranty, but you're diving in a numbers-wise, it could last six years. Yep. You know, if you you break that out, I mean, I know people that were buying new wetsuits every two years, you know. Um, it gets pretty expensive if you keep buying you know, two, three, four hundred dollars. I mean, some of those wetsuits are kind of pricey, like eight hundred dollars, right? Yeah. Um, so you're starting to bridge into the entry level dry suit range. So I mean, it really comes down to that comfort level and frequency of diving. I mean, if it's going to stop you from diving because you're cold, I would. I mean, it's it really is one of those things. You guess you'll be happier in the long run. If you go that, if you're serious about the diving, I mean, I, I feel bad for people that if they buy a super high end suit, but then they stop diving, 
I'm like, oh, but you should keep diving. Yeah, exactly. You know, so that part I, I, you know, but that's like, you know, buy an expensive car, but I don't want to drive it. Right, right. Well, I, I can answer for myself maybe more. I, I make the assumption that I'm answering to someone who, who will – who's obsessed with diving. <laughs> Let's put that way, that's the people I try to surround myself with um, is yeah, it's worth it a hundred percent. Like I give the advice all the time. All right. Next on your list is to buy a dry suit. And I give that advice because number one of the versatility of the suit, there is nowhere that I can't dive in my dry suit. I just changed the undergarment. Right. Uh, I mean, I'm in, I've been in Texas for four years. It gets hot. Right and nasty here, I still dive my dry suit. I've I've seen people snicker at me as I put my dry suit on, and it's a hundred and you know five degrees outside, and they're like, "Why is this idiot putting on a dry suit when it's so hot?" And I said, "Well, once I'm in the water, I'm wearing a thin undergarment. I've got my you know everything's good, and actually, I just don't uh, you know take it off. I leave it wet, and it dries me off uh, or cools me off when I'm back on the surface really well. It's actually a better cooling than a wetsuit when you're on the surface when it's wet." Not when it's when it's not wet. Um, so I mean, the versatility that you get with a dry suit, you can dive in anywhere. You wanted to go dive in the ice, and the next day come and dive in 100 degree Texas weather. The change that you're going to make is going to be your undergarment, and you're good, right? In a lot of ways. And the other thing is, I think that when it comes back down to not only versatility, but the the overall safety, we call it at UTD being in a balanced rig. Right. And that means that you are actually able to maintain neutral buoyancy throughout the course of your dive from the descent, the bottom time to the ascent, no matter what dive you're going to do. And so to me, again, from a safety perspective, being in that balanced rig, looking at your weighting, and this is with a caveat saying when you change your undergarments, it changes your weighting. So I think it's a really important thing. Every, anytime you change your undergarments, you need to actually do a weight check and understand your weighting because as you add undergarments or take undergarments away, you're adding positive buoyancy or or adding ne- or at least you're not adding negative buoyancy, but you're losing positive buoyancy when you take undergarments away. Um, with that caveat is to say that um, a dry suit affords you the ability to be in that neutrally buoyant balanced rig position throughout the course of a dive because I can control how much gas I add and how much gas I vent to that suit. Whereas I, in a wetsuit, I can't control the compression and the expansion of the suit, um, you know, by, through a vent, right? I, I can't, I can't actually do that. It, it's going to happen regardless of whether I want it to or not. And so mm-hmm. from those two perspectives, I think versatility and safety, a dry suit is worth every penny of it. And then the third thing, which is rule six when it comes down to it, which is look cool. <laughs> and I think, you know, there's – like I said today, the start of the show that I, uh, I uh, you know, went into my kids' classrooms today. And you can imagine, you know, walking around in that dry suit, um, you know, they would think I was an astronaut like you said. I mean, I just, I just, you know, 
I love the look of the dry suit. And I was, I was kind of picking you, you were pushing me towards really, you just want all black. Like, come on, don't you want a little color? <laughs> and I think I ended up going with like some white stitching, you know, cause it's like, yeah, maybe Jack's right. But like, I like the all black, like, you know, it just looks to me, it just looks real hot. It looks real, real nice. Or to put it as my girls would say, it looks fashion. And so uh, I think it looks good and I like that. So to me, I get all those benefits, whether, uh, you know, because I'm not going to win any awards in a wetsuit, good looking wetsuit contest. I'll tell you that. So, <laughs> so uh, the wetsuit makes me feel like, uh, like it looks cool. But I, for me, it's worth it. I, I think even on a budget, um, because it's going to be a piece of gear that you use every dive. There are a lot of things that people spend money on that you use once or you sits in a box. I mean, gosh, I have things that have sat in boxes. You know what I mean? Because I bought them back in the day. They seem like a good idea and I never use it. My rule now is I'm only going to buy something that I'm going to use on every dive or that I have a direct application for that I'm going to use it um, at least X amount of times based on the cost. For example, we're talking scooters, I think, in one of the other other episodes. Like, <laughs> that's coming up because I I wouldn't buy it here in Texas because I mean, come on, where what are we really going to scooter around in? Uh, but when it comes to that shore swim in uh, La Jolla Shores for the everyday diving um, scooter, here I come. So, <laughs> but yes, I'd say dry suit. It's an everyday piece of equipment. It's something that gives you so much versatility and adds to your safety margin in diving, whether you're doing just recreational diving or technical diving, especially um, that I say it's worth every penny. So that's, that's my two cents. Yeah. No. And yeah, the style is for me, I'd have to say that's a high point. (laughs) Um, You can tell when someone takes a picture of you and your dry suit, if you have some sort of styling to it, that it's you. Um, So if you, happen to see some of the posts online there's always i'm always there because i'm always wearing some flashy this or that but i like making sure that you know i'm i'm all about swapping out patches on my sleeve you know to make things cool and you know a pirate patch and star wars patches and stuff like that i don't know yeah see, I, we I, did, like, we, I think we put a i like blinging it up on my uh, or a pile on a pile my patch, uh, right. pile patch on my suit, but I haven't put the the patches on yet. But I, yeah, I, I like the. Uh, I feel like I should have been diving. Like you know, I'm I'm stuck 20 years ago. Like I, it's so funny because like I like the all black suit, right? And the question now is like, why does everything does diving gear only come in all black? It's like no, it comes in lots of cool colors and patterns and all kinds of things that you can add to. It. I like the all black. I swear to you, and and I'm I'm not making this up that the, the scuba pro uh gorilla mask right the original old school it is the best mask i've ever had in my life in terms of you know i've got a beard and i had other other masks have just leaked a little bit here and there mm-hmm. and i just got used to water in my nose you know it's just the way it, way it goes i put that mask on and boom no water i'm never never have water in my face again Right. I have the jet fins because I think they're the best fins ever that were like, you know, like from the sixties. And they're great because they'll last they'll outlast me, you know, I'll pass them on to uh, my grandkids probably, right? Um <laughs> and they're just durable and they work for what I need, right? Um, all those things. So I swear I'm like the the old school, you know, when all this cool innovation stuff wasn't I mean, I still dive a horseshoe doubles wing. I like the horseshoe doubles wing because 
I can move gas around if I'm slinging a deco or, or I have a stage bottle on. I can sling a little more gas in the, in the left side to carry that stuff and still be really, really balanced, right? So it's and it's funny. Like I, I although I am not an old school diver, I'm a relatively new diver. I feel like all of my preferences go back like 20 years for some reason. And uh, so be it. I, I've just accepted that I'm an old soul in diving um, <laughs> in, a, in a new kid new kid on the blocks uh, body. <laughs> yeah, as long as everything's done safe and people know what your gear setup is. I mean, that's, um, you know, and diving with buddies that know the setup. I mean, that that is important. I mean, that goes in a whole another thing. I mean, it's it's just being safe, right? Yeah. You know, like knowing like in a, in a dry suit, knowing what to do if your buddy's inflator valve sticks, for example, and, and they panic, yep. you know, you know how to go and solve their issue, right? You just need to know that stuff. So it's just knowing the right configuration and then everyone knowing how to fix it. If you have to safe diving, Anyways, digressing away from dry suits, but anyways, <laughs> no, agreed, agreed. Agreed. And I think that that comes down to, you know, the, what's called the the buddy check or an equipment match, right? And and I see it overlooked way too often on boats and on the shore is just spending that extra couple minutes to, to go through someone else's configuration in a check and be locked into that, not be distracted. Because when I say, mm-hmm. hey, my, you know, my, my suit inflates, oh. You know, I can't tell you how many times people have caught that, right? Not on, you know, just as a team. My suit inflates. Oh, I didn't hook that up. Right? <laughs> Put the hard on bottle in. Now it inflates. Okay, you don't want that to happen when you hit the water, right? Um, if, you, right. if you didn't test either one of the your wing or your dry suit, now you're in real trouble with all that heavy gear. And so, I just think equipment matching is is or or buddy checking in recreational diving is a is critically to or critical to be engaged in but yeah maybe maybe we'll come back and do a whole episode on that because man <laughs> the, that we could go down another two hours of a rabbit trail there so all right let's wrap this one up because this was great all right so today we focused on how do you choose thermal protection and man there was a wealth of knowledge and I still have like 70 questions that I didn't get to for you of like things that we should maybe come back and do another episode on like just the the listicle of all the things that that uh, you know people ask when it comes to tri suits, or I've thought about when it comes to tri suits. Should I do it this way or should I do it that way? Uh, but we would love to hear your thoughts. Do you dive dry or do you dive a wetsuit? Are you gearing up for a dry suit? You know, are you considering one? What are your thoughts there? And what has been your experience with thermal protection? What types of undergarments have you used? What works for you? So on and so forth. Uh, so reach out to us, shoot a message, Jack, shoot a, shoot a message to me. I'd love to hear from you. Shoot a message to producer Daniel, um, whoever you feel comfortable reaching out to. And we would love to hear your story and your experience of that. Uh, any parting thoughts, Jack, before we uh, wrap this one up officially? Uh, dive dry. Don't let your, don't, don't let your friends dive wet. 
<laughs> I like that. <laughs> Don't be a savage is uh, maybe another bumper sticker we need to have on on the dive boats there. Don't be a savage. Dive dry, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jack, I just want to thank you for the last three episodes. I've had a blast um, co-hosting them with you and, and getting to to pick your brain on different topics and things. And man, it was it was a fun three episodes together. I feel like it was good stuff. I, I thought we could keep going for another twenty episodes if we wanted to. <laughs> time flies. Time flies. Um, or, or Jack's lost track of time and he's just rambling. <laughs> <laughs> so. The next topic, aging and diving. (laughs) There's that guy rambling on again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do you remember remember that story back in the day? We know, we know it's, you know, we're telling the same stories over and over again. It's time for uh, for us to hang up the the phone here, right? All right. Well, if you enjoyed this episode and you want to be a part of this community, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. That way you get notified when new episodes like this one drop. And thank you for joining us today. We look forward to having you back on the next episode of The Dive Table. The Dive Table is a production of Fish Dive Surf Incorporated and a member of the Fish Dive Surf Podcast Network. You can find out more at www.fishdivesurf.com.